a little bit. I don't know how long you're in the minor leagues before this happened, but that moment that you got that phone call. I was in AAA playoffs mm -hmm. and playing for the Durham Bulls and we're playing the Charlotte Knights. If we win this game, we go to the AAA World Series. If we lose, we're out. We lose. And so we're sitting there talking about which direction we're going to drive home from Charlotte. When the manager comes up and, and taps me on the shoulder, he goes, I need to talk to you. I look back at him and I said, I don't think so. He goes, why not? I said, because the last six guys you talked to are all crying right now. Mm -hmm. I choose not to cry. <laughs> and he just shook his head at me and said, come on. What's up, guys? How's it going? Welcome to the, another episode of the podcast, Determined Society. You guessed it. This is Sean French, your host. And today, guys, I have someone with me that, to me, uh, just resonates determination, grit. Uh, he followed his dreams. And, you know, it was never a straight line for this, for this gentleman. Uh, he was told at a young age of 25 that he'd never play the game that he loved ever again due to a bunch of injuries. And, you know, fast forward 10 years, I'm sure it wasn't a fast 10 years for him. There was a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, having to go into the fact that he couldn't do what he loved anymore. And at the age of 35, he found himself on the mound in a Tampa Bay, at the time, the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. They are now the Rays uh, here, in, here in West Florida. And um, he's an author of two books, most recently, Dream Makers. He's a motivational speaker, but to baseball players, he is the epitome of the American dream. Jim, the rookie Morris, welcome to the show, man. Glad to have you. Thanks, Sean. Glad to be here. Absolutely, man. I, I was telling uh, my wife when we, you know, got in contact, I, I shot a message to you on LinkedIn. I'm like, hey, you know what? You never know. Maybe he answers. And uh, you answer with such grace and humility and your wife, Shauna, such a sweet soul. And, uh, you know, we were able to, to get this worked out pretty quickly and, um, immediately after we booked the show, I, I had to, I had to put my kids in front of the movie, right? <laughs> They're like, well, who is this dad? You know? And, and my wife was like, this is amazing. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I look at your story. And like I said, before we started recording, it's just, you know, we know how it's portrayed. Right. And, you know, I'm just super excited to have you on the show to at least talk about all those things. Right. So that my listeners are, are, my listeners really enjoy stories of adversity and, and triumph, right? That's why they listen to my show because they like to see the, the, the problem and they like to see somebody work and they like to see the solution or the pinnacle of what's going on. So uh, I know we'll be able to provide that today. And um, yeah, man, once again, we're just, we're here for it. And I do want to talk about your new book, you know, so we'll, we'll get good. to that too. So so give it to us, man. I, I, you know, we know what we see in the media, but w start me off as, as, as a kid, because the way it's, way it's shown in the movie, um, your father was in the military and you moved around a lot. So the way it looked, it was, you get involved in baseball, then you're having to move again. And then pops was just like, sorry, dude, you know, it's uh, it's just the way it is. So talk to us a little bit about that. Oh, Sean, what a long story. My father was in the military. We moved everywhere. He was um, not a nice person. And 
okay, here, here's one thing. He's holding my little brother one day. He looks down at me and he goes, this is the one we wanted. We never wanted you. And that was my life. And physically yeah. and verbally abusive. And I tell audiences, I say, the bruises go away. It's the words that stick with you. Mm-hmm. you know, you're not smart enough. You're not good enough. Why do you even try? You're going to embarrass yourself and everybody else. Just give up. And that was him. And sports for me was an escape. And if I could be in between the white lines of a ball field, I could be away from him and for only a few hours at a time. And so for the first 15 years of my life, baseball is how I made friends. He didn't like me to talk. Children are to be seen and not heard. So I never talked. And ironically, now I talk for a living. So I guess God was saving it up or something. But baseball for me has been the one go-to in my life. And even when I couldn't play anymore, I thought I'll coach it. And, but at 15, I made the, the varsity baseball team in MacArthur High School in Hollywood, Florida. Second freshman ever to make the team. And two weeks after the season started, then my dad said, guess what? You're moving to Brownwood. That move ended up being the best thing for me in my entire life. Because I was moving out of a household where I watched two people argue, throw, curse, hit, fight, scream. Moved to Texas where my grandparents were. And when I walked into my grandparents' house, I thought, this is my father's parents. He got it from somewhere. Oh, boy. And when I walked in, I was shocked. I had two rules. If you do it, own it. Own it, live up to it, and move on. And number two, tell the truth. You don't have to remember the truth. And those mm-hmm. were my grandparents. And they ended up being the dream makers of my life and the mentors that I look up to for people who did it right. They were never rich, but they always found a way to give back. Uh, my grandfather had a menswear store in Brownwood, Texas. You know, the population was 20,000 people, but he had this menswear store and people would come from all over the country. It never dawned on me as a teenager, like most teenagers, it wouldn't dawn on, that since my grandfather had fought in World War II, he knows a whole bunch of people. Well, he knew a lot of people, and people would come into the store all the time from everywhere and buy suits, not just because of the quality of the suit, but because of the quality of the man. And he was such a good, fine human being. I didn't find out till about 10 years ago that he spoke for a living when he wasn't doing work in a store. And I thought, that's pretty cool. Now I talk. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my grandmother, the opposite, he was 6'3", she was 5'3", but probably the smartest woman I've ever seen in my life, could hear a piece of music, couldn't read music, but could hear something on the radio, sit out and play it on the piano. And just incredibly talented, incredibly smart, could do trig in her head. I mean, just, she showed me shortcuts in math that I tried to use when I was in high school. And my teachers would go, that's the right answer, but you don't show your work, so it's wrong. Mm-hmm. That's how smart she was. And wow. But they took me in. And when a, a teenager who could have fallen off the rails, either way, my grandparents said, no, not on our watch. And they ended up being the biggest mentors of my life. And I worked for my grandfather during the summers. And I would also help my grandmother at church. My grandfather had me take my grandmother on lunch dates once a week the entire time I was in high school. So I would know how to treat women. And, you know, he wanted me to be prepared take their arm across the street, keep them inside away from traffic, open car doors, restaurant doors, pull out chairs, all of it. And they taught for 15 years. I heard screaming and cursing and the next three. I never heard a cross word said, I never heard anybody lift their voice. And so for me, walking into that situation, I was 
almost like thunderstruck. I thought this is can't be, this can't be true. (laughs) This is a movie. (laughs) Yeah, but it was, and they were just such good people. And they put me on a road to success. And my grandfather said, what are you going to do when you can't throw a ball, throw a ball hard anymore? (laughs) You know, when you're a teenager, you're like, I will throw a ball hard as long as I want. Mm Mm-hmm. And then at 40, you start waking up three times a night to pee. And you're like, you know what? I can't throw a ball hard anymore. (laughs) But for him, he wanted me to be prepared for after sports. Mm -hmm. And so he was teaching me lessons every day about character, about morality, about keeping my word. He goes, you are your word. If you break your word, then at the end of the day, people are going to know you if you told the truth or not. And if you didn't, that's how you're going to be remembered. And he was very much that person who did everything right and slow and methodical in the same way every time. Here's a funny story. He would go to market twice a year and buy suits to bring back to his store. And he would call the husbands and he'd go, what kind of suits do you want? And he'd listen to everything they said. And then he did the smart thing and he would call the wives and he'd go, what do your husbands want to wear? And... (laughs) he would come back with what the wives told him to bring and they would buy everything. I mean, he just knew how to be a people person. And one day, and I didn't learn this till two years ago. So this story, I'm just kind of sticking in one day in a store, this man walks in, I recognize him from TV. Now I'm 58 years old and there used to be three channels and I was the remote and people would find it hard to believe now, but I recognized him from TV. Mm. He walks up, he hugs my grandfather like they've been best friends forever. I later found out they were. It was Gene Autry. And then two years ago, I'm doing a podcast with Dennis. And I'm telling him this story. He goes, you're kidding me. He goes, that was my uncle. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then years later, he's playing me in the movie. So, you know, the world, as big as it is, is a lot smaller than we think it is. You know, it, it truly is. And it's fascinating because a lot of your story you know, and, and again, I, I'm sure my father has a different spin on this, uh, but my, my father was also very hard on me. Uh, he didn't really physically abuse me, but it was a lot of, um, hey, if you don't play baseball, you're kind of you're kind of up the creek without a paddle because you're not you can't do anything with your hands. You don't have any skills. Right. You you can't fix a car. You can't do this. And I said, you know, dad, I I feel like people like me and I can talk to people. Right. And he's like, well, you can't make any money doing that. And, you know, throughout my whole life, I've been able to generate an amazing sales career and, you know, build my business just on the the way of being able to relate to pretty much anybody. Right. And, And to have great conversations and to be honest and tell the truth. And it's crazy because, you know, sitting here having this conversation with you now is like I. I had a feeling I knew there was a contentious relationship with your father. In fact, you talk about it in your new book, Dream Makers, right? You kind of dive into that and just kind of the life after baseball. But, you know, when you, when you see public figures like yourself, you don't really know them, know them. You're like, you just, you, you never know what somebody's going through in their life, right? You know, we look at uh, celebrities or major league baseball players or professional football players and, 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 the, and the civilian or the, the lay person can go, wow, what an amazing life but we never know what they did to get there. And what I'm hearing from you is that you dealt with a lot of physical and verbal abuse, right? And that was your time, you know, in that one and a half to three hours, depending on the level, right? That you got to be in between those white lines. That was your 
safe haven. And, and I have to tell you, Jim, like you and I are more alike than, than I thought, right? Because I remember no matter what was going on in my life, that the moment I walked through those gates, I was where I was supposed to be. Yeah. It didn't matter if I went over three or three for three or, or whatnot. Did I get upset when I went over three? You're darn right. I did. Right. Cause I'm a competitor and I like to win, but I could, I could forget about the breakup with my girlfriend. I could forget about what my dad said to me. I could forget about my parents yelling at each other. I could forget about so many things within the school that happened, me being bullied because I wasn't in the best shape or I wasn't as good looking as the other guy, right? The baseball, the game of baseball saved me, right? And, and as I progressed, it, it turned into something that I was able to do at a, you know, at a higher level in division one. But just hearing the story, it's, it's so, it's so parallel because I dealt with people yelling and screaming to where when, and I didn't have the opportunity, you know, to where you were blessed. Like you said, at 15, that move to Texas was the best one you've ever made in your life because you got to see true modeling of a great relationship and respect and love. I didn't have that. Right. I just got a bunch of yelling and screaming. So when I would get into a relationship or when I would, you know, get married at first, I thought that's how you disagreed. It's like, no, I got to yell. And (laughs) and it's funny because, you know, when you, when you, when you have that other partner, that wife said, well, Hey, I'm not used to this. Like, why are you doing this? Right. And it's, it's, it's just strange. I know it's a tangent, but it's, it's super, it's super encouraging. And I want everybody listening to really dial in on the fact that just like Jim said, you know, the world is small. It's smaller than we think, but we're also more alike than we're not. Yeah. Um, we all have opinions. What's that? We all have opinions. We sure do. But it doesn't mean we're right. Right, right. Totally. I, um, you know, I want to, I want to go through some of the things like, um, for instance, the, the, the high school season, like you, you coached, I coach, right? It's one of the ways we can give back to the kids and still feel part of the game and, and compete. And the one thing that I always found really, really difficult was, you know, you don't have that remote control. You can educate the, the, the baseball IQ. You can work on the skills, but at game time, it's up to the kids. And, and the one thing that is always the most challenging is, is finding ways to, to, mo- to motivate or drive the collective unit, right? Because everybody's so different. So it's a lot of sure. times you have to differentiate, right? You do, you have to differentiate, you know, to player X, player Y, like you've got to coach them differently. The way it's portrayed in the movie is, you know, it's a struggling team, right? You were coaching, um, could even go grass on the baseball field because the deer was eating the seed, right? And uh, somehow they saw you throw a baseball and it was like, well, if we win, you got to chase your dream. Is that accurate? Yeah, there's a lead up to that story. <clears throat> How it happened was in 99 where the movie takes place. I was on my way to baseball practice. And this athletic director stops me. He was head of the program. He's not the guy who hired me. Mm-hmm. He was the guy they brought in and he couldn't get rid of me. And that really made him mad. <laughs> so I was the kicking post. And he goes, you've taken these kids as far as you can. These kids are losers. They're never going to mount anything. Mm. Their parents are losers. they They've never gone anywhere. They're never going anywhere. He goes, this is a stepping stone for people like me. And he goes, you may be one of the best baseball coaches I've ever seen, but you're always going to come in last to people like me because I know how to step on people. 
And I'm sitting there thinking, wow, and they put you in charge of everybody. That's so awesome. <laughs> but around the corner, there were two of my kids and they heard it. And this guy destroyed two years of work in 90 seconds. And so as the movie opens up after the nuns, 15 to one and 15 to zero, and we just get rumbled. And so after the second one, I just stand home played and I just said a prayer. I, my grandparents had faith. I've got great faith. And I'm just like, God, what do you want me to do? Mm-hmm. How can I push them without breaking them? How can I get them to believe? How can I teach them if they want something, they have to go get it. They can't just go, I wish I had it. And here it comes. You've got to work for it. Nothing comes easy. And the answer was so simple. It was go down there and teach them what your grandparents taught you. And I thought I could do that. And, and we walk, I walk down. Nobody's looking at me. They're all looking at the ground. Start talking about hopes and dreams and goals. And I said, you guys have to go out and live life. You can't let life live you. Mm. Don't ever let anybody dictate to you what you do with your life. This is your life. And I'm thinking I'm sounding pretty good, right? In the back of my head, I'm like, my grandfather would be proud. They're looking, they're engaged. And then my catcher looks at me. He's my senior on the team. And he goes, what about your dreams? I said, my dream is to see you guys be successful in the classroom, successful on the field, graduate from high school and then go to college or trade school or whatever it is you want to do. But it's your decision. He goes, well, we think you still want to play. And I said, no, I think I want to stay married. Thank you very much. <laughs> and by now I'm 35, I weigh 260 pounds. Right. Their moms make me fresh homemade tortillas every time we get on a bus to go somewhere. And like, this is, this is a scouting diet. This is not a playing diet. <laughs> and and let's not forget the fact that at 28 I had a surgery in which the doctor said you will never ever pitch again physically impossible mm-hmm. and they just kept challenging me they're like coach but the way you throw to us we know your heart's still in it we, we can't even hit you on this that's because you can't hit but you teach us everything about the game we know you still want to play and I said wanting to play and being able to play are two different things I said, I've had a doctor in the medical field tell me I will never pitch again. Physically impossible. What if we win? Can't do it. You know, we go through all the reasons, including the medical reason. Well, what if we win a district championship, which these kids never been a part of in baseball? We win, you try out. So for 20 minutes, I did what every parent does. I argued every course of action, and then I caved in. I'm like, Mm. all right, if you win, I'll find a tryout. In the back of my mind, I'm like, I'm old for baseball. I'm fat. And this is going to be embarrassing. Mm-hmm. But if it gets these kids to play, I'll do it. I'm going to embarrass myself for a few minutes. Yep. Little did I know what that would do. And they start winning. And they start winning by a lot. And we're running teams off the field. We're not even, we're not trying to hurt anybody or just mm-hmm. score the daylights out of stuff. We're just playing baseball. And we're down by two runs in district championship. The history would dictate these kids don't come back very well. They come up in the top of the last inning. They score six runs. They hold the other team to zero. We win. One of the best sights I've ever seen in my life. I'm watching a group of kids celebrate an accomplishment that not even they thought they could accomplish. By now, I've forgotten about the bet. When we made the bet, they couldn't hit me. By the end of the season, I couldn't get these kids out. And so I forget about the bet because who cares? Yeah. And we're playing and we're winning. And that's when my second baseman hops up on the bus and he goes, we did our part now, it's your turn. Oh, no. Oh, boy, here we go. And I've got to go to a tryout. And, you know, we get into the second round of playoffs. It was the third game of the three-game series. School, school's over, baseball's over. 
I found a tryout in my hometown of Brownwood at Howard Payne. And when I drive the tryout with my kids who are eight, four, and one, I'm looking at all these other kids get out of their car, tall, <laughs> thin, athletic looking, brand new bodies, brand yeah. new gear, smiling because they're chasing that dream. And I remembered when I was back at that age, what baseball meant to me. And now here I am with my three kids, one of which I'm changing her diapers. And I'm here to actually try out again at this age. And I go up to the sign-up table, Doug Gasway's a scout. He's about 70. He said, how many kids you bring to try out? And I looked down and I said, I brought three. He goes, no, two try out. And I said, let me explain something. <laughs> I made a promise to a group of kids that if they did something nobody thought they could do, I would try to do something I know I can't do. It's going to be embarrassing. It will be humiliating. You'll get a great laugh out of it. But either you let me throw or I've got to find someone else who will because I made a promise. When he got done laughing, he looked up at me with a serious face and he said, why didn't you just shave your head like every other coach? <laughs> I said, where were you three months ago, man? <laughs> that, that, that is, you know, it's so funny because you watch the scene in the movie and like here you are, you know, going to this tryout in your hometown and you have all three of your children. And you're changing diapers and you're probably sitting there for a long time for your turn. And, you know, you're dealing with all these things and, you know, the, the mental toughness and the mindset that you have to have at that moment to stay connected with your three children, but also to switch your focus on a drop of a dime and go out there and throw pitches. To me, it's, it's everything that life is right. Um, you know, there's a lot of times where I'll sit here at home and I'm trying to cook dinner and maybe dishes have to be done. And I got three kids going, daddy, daddy, daddy. And here you are, you, you tried out for, for the minor leagues for a spot on a roster and I'm complaining. I'm in here in the kitchen. That's kind of embarrassing for me, but I'm going to be vulnerable. I, I just think it's impressive. You know, how, how did you, how did you, um, stay sane in that moment? I mean, like for me, if I had my three kids at a tryout, and I, and they call my name, I'm going to be pretty frazzled, man. I don't know if I could hit a broadside of a barn at that point. For me, it was just, let's show up and do this and get it over with. Mm -hmm. I thought I can't get 16 and 17 year old kids out now. How am I going to impress a major league scout? Yeah. I'll get this. I'll get done. We'll go home. It's all good. Yeah. And so he hands me a fastball. Last one to try out. They've thrown, they've hit, they've run the 60. And so he tosses me a ball and he said, how many pitches do you need to warm up? I said, to embarrass myself, none. I just want to pitch quickly and run off the field. And I said, all right. He goes back, he picks up his radar gun, tells the young guy to catch me. He goes, give him signs. Give me a sign for a fastball. I wind up and I throw it. And he's shaking his radar gun. I'm like, I don't even throw hard enough to register. That's ridiculous. And immediately I'm more embarrassed than I thought I would mm -hmm. be. And then all the young guys threw like 20 pitches. And now I'm up to about 60. And I think they're making fun of the fat old guy. And that's me. You're, wait, you threw 60 pitches? Yeah. That's like a yeah. game. <laughs> Especially for someone who's been out of baseball for a long time. And by the end of the session, he tells this kid, because everybody had tried out, they're all putting their stuff up in their cars. And as I'm throwing people are slowly coming back behind the backstop and watching parents included. Mm -hmm. And I thought I'm either doing really good or really bad. 
And he tells this kid, he goes, go get your bat and get in the box. And the kid goes, you want me to get in there against that? And I thought, huh. So they finally say that's enough. My one-year-old's crying. I would get my kids to put them in the car and turn the air on. Guess the way he meets me, he goes, I remember you. 15 years ago at Ranger Junior College, you were a football star. Everybody wanted to make a picture out of I said, yes, sir. He said, Jimmy, back then you were tall and thin through 87 or 88. I said, yes, sir. He goes, I don't know what you've done your time off aside from eat, but the first pitch you threw without warming up was 94. Everything after that went up to 98. And I'm stunned. But when somebody tells you you're throwing 98, there's a happy dance going on between your ears, right? Mm-hmm. The next thing that hit me was I had been throwing 98 miles an hour at high school kids. I'm getting sued is what I'm getting. And my kids were hitting 98. No wonder that kid who threw puke to us the last game we couldn't hit because we were so far out in front of it. <laughs> and he goes, don't be surprised if you get a phone call. It's all right. Put the kids in the car, drive home an hour and 10 minutes. It's not one phone call, it's 12. They want me to come back in two days and throw hard. And, and I tell audiences, I say, this is where walking the walk and talking the talk separate. I call my high school kids and I say, look, I did good. If I, they want me to come back in two days, if I do good again, they want me to sign a minor league contract. I said, but this is something I failed at every single time. I was supposed to be young and talented. Now I'm old for this game. Mm-hmm. It's going to be harder. Over here, coaching, teaching, I'm successful at it. I know I'm good at it. I got a job in Fort Worth at a great big high school. This is good. This over here, bad. I fail mm-hmm. every time. I said, Coach, you told us if we ever had our dream in front of us, you'd chase it no matter what. And I said, I was lying. <laughs> that only pertained to you. And so two days later, it rained so bad they had to have me a brand new baseball every pitch. Sliding up to my knee in mud, I hit 98 every time with my three kids being watched by half my high school team. And so it was cool to be a part of that. It was cool to watch those kids who, when I pushed them, they pushed back and we made each other better. Mm. And as I'm watching, going back, as I'm watching those kids celebrate that championship, for the first time in my life and all those years it took me, lessons my grandparents taught me, it's not about me, it's about we. What can we do to win? Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're exactly right with every kid on a team. Some kids you need to bury a foot in and tell every single day what they need to do. Some kids you need to tell once they run off and they do it. And other kids know what they're doing and you just, your best coaching is to leave them alone. Stay out of the way. And, but every, every kid is different and every kid needs something different. And I think it's fun now to look back and see all those kids being success, successful in their lives now. And, you know, if I played a small part in that, that's awesome. Mm. But I just want them to know that when they pushed me and I pushed them, we made each other better. We were a team. You know, the thing that I really love about this story, Jim, is I, I love the ending, right? I love the, you know, we'll get to the, the top of the mountain here in a second of that, of that specific day in Arlington. But to me, what is most impressive about this story is your ability to show your raw authenticity to your kids. There's so many coaches and so many baseball players and baseball coaches in general. We, we operate out of this huge ego and, you know, we don't, um, we, we don't 
we don't connect well with other men sometimes, right? Because our ego is too big and, and we don't um, acknowledge other men because we say, well, they're better than us. So, you know, I need to, you know, be insecure about it or, or whatever the, the right choice of words is. But what I'm hearing is you had such an ability just to be raw and authentic and vulnerable with those kids to a point where you humanize yourself more than any other coach probably did in their lives. And they appreciated that about you. And uh, I can imagine if I interviewed one of those kids, they'd probably say, that's why we love Jim Morris is because when it, when it got time for him to perform and walk the walk, he was scared. You know, he, he didn't hide from the fact that this, like he failed at it every other time he tried. But what happened was, is you chose differently this time, right? To, you said you're going to do something and you led by example and you showed those kids and anybody who watched the movie or followed your story that, like you said, your grandparents said, you can have anything you want, but you got to work for it. Yeah. You know, and, and, and to me, it, that, that is, that is the most impressive part of it. And in, in hearing it and like the, the real side of it, it just, there are a lot of similarities to the movie. Yeah. You know, um, you know, for instance, it's your turn. Well, that was in a locker room. It really happened on a bus, but it still happened. And I believe your catcher in the movie did say, what about you, coach? You chase yeah. your dreams. So this is all very awesome. Um, you know, let, let me, let me fast forward, you know, a little bit. I don't know how long you're in the minor leagues before this happened, but that moment that you got that phone call that you, was it actually in Arlington? Um, I was in AAA playoffs mm-hmm. and playing for the Durham Bulls and we're playing the Charlotte Knights. If we win this game, we go to the AAA World Series. If we lose, we're out. We lose. And so we're at our lockers talking. And Bobby Munoz, who played in the big leagues and was trying to get back after elbow surgery, he and I are best friends in AAA. And so I decide I'm going to ride back with him in his pickup. We had all our stuff with us just in case. Mm-hmm. And so we're sitting there talking about which direction we're going to drive home from Charlotte. When the manager comes up and, and taps me on the shoulder, he goes, I need to talk to you. And this is my sixth sense of humor, I guess. I look around. I look back at him. And I said, I don't think so. He goes, why not? Because I said, because the last six guys you talked to are all crying right now. Mm-hmm. I choose not to cry. <laughs> and he just shook his head at me. He said, come on. And I walked in his office and our big league general manager is there. And he goes, you can smile. You're going to be in, in Texas tomorrow. And I didn't get it. And I go, I know that Bobby and I are going there right now. And he goes, no, the big league team is in Arlington playing the Rangers. That's how I found out. And so instead of riding home with Bobby, I got a plane ride to Arlington the next morning. And it was so amazing. Johnny Oates, the opposing manager, got arrested. So let 150 people in the game that day that had ties to me. Hmm. My kids that I coached were there. My kids were there. I hadn't seen them in three months. Kids that I coached against, coaches that had gotten school buses in the middle of the night and drove nine hours to the DFW area to see the coach who made a promise. And to me, that was just beyond awesome. And, you know, until that moment in time, this is where how non-baseball I was. And it shows Dennis getting out at the ballpark and then walking in through the gate. I didn't know this, but you go in underneath the stadium yeah, and they drive you in and, and here you go. And they let you out in front of the door. I thought this is 
awesome. <laughs> and, and then I got to sign my contract before I can walk into the clubhouse. And then I go into a clubhouse where there's Wade Boggs, who just got his 3,000 hit. Mm-hmm. There's Fred McGriff, Roberto Hernandez, Jose Canseco, all these guys I've been watching on TV, and now they're, they're my teammates. And I have a group of high school kids to thank for that. You know, that's, <clears throat> excuse me, that, that right there, because I'm a coach, that, that hits differently. You know, um, you know all, all too often we hear parents come up to us and I still coach on a volunteer basis and they'll come up to me and thank you so much for the impact that you've made on my son, my son this, my son that, what you do for the kids. And I always look at them and say, serious? I was like, these kids save me. You know, whenever I coach, like they give something to me and I come home and I'm in a better mood. They make my life better. And and it's just that that's what you, you know, you had, you had, thir- you, had, you had 13 high school kids to thank for that. That, that is a life full of experiences. You know, your story has touched hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people since then, because of those 13 kids. Yeah. That's incredible to me. Um, you know, I, I, what was that moment like, man? You got called out of the bullpen. Let's let, well. The moment. <laughs> the moment. I've thrown three days in a row in AAA, so I'm convincing myself <laughs> there's no way they're putting me in. And so for eight innings, I'm sitting in the bullpen talking to big league pitchers about how to face the guys I might be facing if someday I face them. And eighth inning rings are like, Morris, warm up. And I'm like, oh, they just want me to warm up in front of 40,000. That's cool. Mm-hmm. And two minutes later, I'm in the game. And I think that's when the size of it hit me Mm -hmm. because there are things that are normal that you remember since you were five, like opening the bullpen and going in and smelling the dirt and the grass and the leather Mm. and the hot dogs and the popcorn. To me, that's baseball. And that's what we used to play for a hot dog and a Coke after a game. As I'm running to the mound, everything flashes in front of me the steps I've taken, the wrong directions I've taken, how it, I got put back on course. That when I step my spikes under the door of the mound of the ballpark in Arlington, I'd, I'd come to one conclusion. I would not change one thing about my journey because that made me who I am. And I am that person because of those kids. I never would have tried again. I mean, the doctors mm-hmm. told me it was impossible. And to be able to come back and, you know, throw 98 to 102, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's a, that's a gift. That's, that's a God given gift. I, if I went out there and tried to throw 98, I'd be home crying, you know, in my bed at night because I'd be in so much pain, you know? So, I mean, the fact that you could do that just, just shows that there's a higher power working and, you know, and he really had his hands on you and it's, it's an inspirational story. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it, I was in 99. So I was just in college. Right. And I'm watching this whole thing unfold. You know, it's, it's pretty darn cool. Um, but now we're fast forward to today. And, and now you're an author of, of two amazing books. And the, and the most recent one is Dream Makers. And, you know, I can't even get my hands on it because it's in reprint, man. Like, what's going on? Like, it, this thing has already been sold out. What's this book about? Talk to the audience about it. Oh, for 20 years and during my speeches, when we do question and answer session after people would go, the story is cool. The movie's awesome. Dennis is great. What are you doing? What have you done since then? Mm-hmm. 
And so for 20 years, I had almost this whole book about what I've been doing since. And it took me until 2017 to get the answer. And so in 2020, the book came out during COVID. Mm-hmm. And we had all this, we're going to go do this. We'll do these book tour and we'll sign autographs and all that gets canned because everybody's stuck in their house. Mm-hmm. And so it was just by word of mouth, but it ended up being something that very few people know about. You know, in 2001, I'd signed with the Dodgers and I probably would have made that team pretty easily. But I went from Chavez Ravine where we had winter ball and we were getting in shape and lifting, throwing and hitting every day to a five-day trek over to Vero Beach. And in five days, something happened to me that I have no idea. I had knew for no, for two decades almost, I didn't have any idea. But I went from throwing 98 to 100 to not being able to play catch with the guy because I was afraid the ball he threw back at me was going to hit me in the mouth. And so we tell everybody that it's my arm. And Dr. Joe even goes along with it. It's his arm. He's quitting. But I was petrified. If I throw a ball up there 100 and they hit it back at me 120, like Mike Stanton now, you know, mm-hmm. Giancarlo Stanton, I mean, there's no, I'm not doing that. So I quit. I go home. Eyesight starts going, balance issues. And so we film the movie, we do all that, and I'm still not feeling right and everything's off. Over the next 15 years and 70 surgeries later, I get diagnosed with Parkinson's. The drug they gave me helped me with my symptoms. I could smell and taste for the first time in years, but now it killed my stomach, so my stomach doesn't work, so I have to have gastric bypass too. So they do a deep brain stimulator in me and they put two electrodes in my brain up here and a battery pack in my chest, which TSA loves, by the way, when you have a battery pack in your chest. And that became my medicine was electricity to the brain because my dopamine was gone on the right side of my brain. And because my left hand was affected first, they said it was the right side. So I do this brain scan, drink this radioactive fluid. They do an MRI on you and they go, yeah, you have no dopamine. That's why you're shaking and your balance is off. It got to the point I couldn't even button my own dress buttons on my shirts when I would go to speeches. So Shauna had to start traveling with me. And I stopped cooking because I couldn't smell and taste. And I do the surgery and stuff that they said wouldn't come back did. Like the hospital's overflowing. And so they have way too many people in the recovery room. And the lady next to me tells this nurse, she goes, I have to pee. She gets a bedpan and I smell pee. Now, most people would go, I don't want to smell pee. But for me to be able to smell for the first time in years, that was pretty cool. Right. I get to my room finally. My wife had bought Italian food for herself and I smelled that, but I didn't tell her because I was scared it would go away. Mm. And when we finally went home, I went, I could smell the Italian food you ate. And she goes, you can what? I mean, I quit cooking and everything. And so there were all those things. And this is a time when doctors, I would get these headaches for six months at a time. They don't know why, but I have scarring on my brain. And that was part of my Parkinson's slot they put me in was in the pain region. And so they were just throwing out opiates at me and those weren't working. And so I was taking them like I was supposed to. I didn't overtake those. But what I did do was I prescribed myself vodka to go along with the pills so I would feel better. Yeah, And I couldn't even get away from me, man. I couldn't walk. My dogs were tripping me every time I got up. So I end up in rehab at 52. 
And I think for the first time in my life at 52, I had to concentrate on me. And I wasn't thinking about anybody else. I wasn't taking care of anybody else. This was the fractured child inside of the grown man who now had all these different problems and used something outside externally to make me feel better. And it wasn't working. And I will tell you this, I went to a faith-based place and my guy, my counselor was a pastor. He loved baseball. He's been to every major league team, has stuff in his office from every major league field. He looked at me, he goes, great movie. Why are you here? I said, I wasn't trying to die, but I wasn't trying to live either. I just stopped. Mm -hmm. He goes, well, do you have faith? And I said, absolutely. I said, God's with me all the time. He goes, so if what I hear you saying is that God is with you all the time. So he's like your co-pilot, right? And I said, yeah. He goes, if you're in a vehicle with God, why is he not driving? Mm. And I think that hit me in a way where it was just a light switch. And I was like, oh. I'm better than this. I let this beat me and I don't need to let this beat me. And that was five and a half years ago. And I look back, it probably saved my life. And, but I will tell you since then, why the, that was one of the chapters in the book that we got an ending to. He, God gave us two chapters in his infinite wisdom. The other one was a faith chapter. And if I go into everything that happened about me not having Parkinson's anymore, people are going to call you really mad but I don't have Parkinson's anymore. That's fantastic. A set of circumstances bringing that up that just blew me away. And I didn't even believe it had happened to me. And I've been through some pretty amazing stuff, but that topped it. Even my dog heard it. And I had the only elective surgery I've ever had was in 2020. And they took the brain stimulator out. Wow. So I run, I lift, I walk, I do whatever I can try to stay in shape, get back in shape, whatever a 58 year old can do. I try to push the envelope and do more. And, and I don't have Parkinson's anymore. They did all the tests. They did a radiation test again. Your dopamine levels are fine. This doesn't happen. We don't know what happened to you. And you try to tell them and they're like, we don't want to hear that, but okay. Right. Of course. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm speechless. I had no idea about, you know, obviously any of this, I mean, nor would I think I would. Right. Um, but this is more inspirational and, and more impactful to me than the, the story that everybody knows about, which is Thank your you. athletic journey. Uh, I, I mean, dude, I, it, people that know me very well are probably laugh will be laughing at me when they hear this episode, because I'm never speechless. Um, but uh, you're a guy that I definitely need in my life. I mean, just what you've overcome and the story you just told me, it, people don't ever wake up not having par Parkinson's again, once they have it, like that's, that's impressive. That's incredible, you know, and it's just a testament to who you are. And I know you've had amazing support from your family. Um, you know, Shauna's amazing. Um, she's such a sweet lady. I, I gotta tell you, she's, uh, she's really, really sweet. I, I wished her a happy mother's day on, on Facebook yesterday. So yeah, I'm in over my head. Yeah, you are. Yeah, I, I am too, man. I, I definitely outkicked my coverage. I, you know, I outplayed my game, um, with my wife. Um, but, uh, you know, I just, 
you know, guys that are, you know, guys and girls that are listening, you know, everybody in this world goes through adversity. They go through tragedy. Uh, and I, and I think what we all hope to strive for is the mental fortitude, you know, have the faith and to really choose how we feel every single day about who we are and our circumstances, because we have the power to choose differently. You know, we can, we can choose to be upset or we can choose to fight and like, Jim, you're the ultimate fighter, man. For for real. Thank you. Like that. Thanks, that's man. that's awesome. So so nowadays, um, we got you know we got to land the plane here because you know we're on a schedule, and I I if I could spend seventy hours with you, I would. Um, but uh, you know now you're speaking, and um, from what I understand, uh, people can actually book you to speak. So for my listeners that you own big companies or small businesses, and you want to have the best individual come and speak to your Salesforce or your company, Jim's the guy. So how would they get in touch with you and, and, and to see if they would qualify for that type of event? Uh, Jim, the Perfect. Perfect. And what I'll do, Jim, is I'll make sure in the show notes that I put your website, uh, the name of your book again, and hopefully you'll save me a copy. Uh, yeah. Okay. And um, maybe you're, I'll, you know, put your Instagram handle. I don't know how active you are on Instagram, but it's another way for people to connect with you and just kind of see what you're doing. Um, but with that being said, guys, um, I, I encourage you to look deep within yourself. And if there's a dream that you are suppressing and not going after because someone either told you you couldn't do it or you're telling yourself that you can't do it, I encourage you to go out there and try because you never know if you don't. I mean, that's just, you would rather go through life knowing that you tried and failed than to never have tried at all. And you'll never know. So um, Jim, if you don't mind hanging out real quick after the recording, but uh, guys, thanks again for listening. If you got anything out of this episode, please share it out to your friends, family, um, whoever uh, people definitely need to hear this episode. And, uh, Jim, once again, thanks so much, brother. I'll see you guys soon.